What's up to niggas and niggas only? Welcome to another episode of the Come Get Your Flowers podcast. I'm your host, Deonny Genty, and I got a very special guest. He is a digital creator, speaker, and educator. He is the host of Keeping It A Bean podcast and the host of the live music and music analyst event, analysis event, Due Diligence. At Elementary, you need to hit this nigga up. Marquise Davon Richards is in the building. What's up, bro? That was an intro and a half. Thank you so much. <laughs> hey, listen, I, I, I have to do. I have to keep it real with the intros, man. You see, really how, you see how I added your tagline in there? Come you on, said man. in the niggas and niggas only. I said, wow, that's that's a that's an intro right there. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Like you said, it's Marquise Davon. Man, Dion, thank you, thank you, thank you. That was good. Yeah, thank you, man. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. I'm happy. I'm happy you're here too, man. Like we're here to give you your flowers, man. Because I, like I said, I. Before we um, started recording, and I, like I said, I feel, I feel like I, ca- I can call you a teacher, not only just academically, but just in so many other ways, man. I feel like your voice is truly, truly much needed. Um, and I thank you for even like always speaking your truth and also speaking facts, man. So like, just thank you for being on the show. Appreciate you. Yo. Thank you for just I'm glad the content is being received. I'm glad people feel are feeling educated. It's always like dope when I find like people are like appreciative of my work, and I'm just like, oh, Marquise, duh, like you do stuff. Yeah, you do dope <laughs> shit, duh. Come on, man, stop yeah. playing. Come on. So my first question to you, bro, is what is something you've been feeling as of lately? It could be a new song, album, book, show, movie, hobby, activity. What's something you've been feeling as of lately, man? Oh man, um, Terrace Martin and James Fauntleroy's Nova oh, EP. Oh, that EP, I haven't heard that- it yet. Oh my, six tracks, just jazz and musicianship and instruments. And I've just been like in a real big like jazz period lately. And I feel mm-hmm. like I've just been like, it's been jazz. And then I've been rereading um, Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. So those have been like my two spaces I've been in lately. <laughs> okay, okay. Nah, yeah. Terrence Martin, he, he's, he's dope, man. Obviously, for most, I would say for me, or maybe even for most people, I heard him, you know, obviously doing his instrumentation on Kendrick Lamar's The Pimp of Butterfly. Yes, sir. I think that's where most people really got to know who Terrence Martin is. And then obviously I heard Drones uh, two years ago. And then mm-hmm. I just finished a couple weeks ago the uh, Fine Tune album that he dropped, man. Let's, Bro. amazing, amazing body of work. I listen to it while I read. It does what it needs to do. Listen, as much I, I'm sorry, bro. I had that snooze song on repeat. Repeat. repeat when I first heard it, boy. I said, "Why is this familiar?" Oh, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I say, "Yo, he they, he was snapping on the album," but I have not heard the EP yet. I definitely would try to tap in for that for mm-hmm. sure. But what, besides Terrace Martin, what other jazz artists have you been listening to? Oh man, I just Robert Glasper has been like on the top of He's it. He's a legend, man. Um, yo, it don't make no sense. It don't He's, make no sense. Hey man, you know H Town got it, bro. Stop playing. Look, you already come on now. You better rap. Come on. H Town got it, bro. Come on. Yeah, so it's been that. And then not like a specific artist, but like um one of my boys from Don't Alert the Stands, they were talking around just like an assortment of jazz artists that have just been popping up in the UK. And so I was just like let me just put them on re- like a rotation and I have not been disappointed. I'm just like, I'm so happy to see like a resurgence in like jazz music happening and so much of it like becoming more niche audiences. But I hope to see someone like a Samara Joy and others really just continue to like go up and about because there's just something 
so freeing, I think has been it for me as why I think I've been responding to the jazz. It just feels like super freeing in this point in time of my life. And I think that's what I need just to like play on a fun foundation. Yeah, that's fine. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Samara Joy, that's the woman who won the Grammy, correct? Yes, yeah, sir. a lot of people got hit to her, uh, hyped her, um, hip to her music not too long ago when she won that Grammy. So yeah, nah, yeah. shout out to her. I need to get her on vinyl real quick because I've I've just been enjoying like her voice is just interesting and it feels fresh and she's just a great storyteller as well. So and I said you're from straight out of New York, like hey. <laughs> regular girl. <laughs> yeah, no, fast, fast. Nah, shout out to all yeah. those amazing jazz artists for real. So I gotta ask you, man, like I said, you you are very outspoken in, you know, in in a lot of ways. Um, but it always makes sense. you and you're always um well versed in what you're talking about. When did you realize that you had a voice? Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a great question. When did I realize I had a voice? Oh man. I think like the one of the earliest, and I I was just talking to my boy about the story actually. One of my earliest is um when I decided I wanted to stop playing basketball and like um focus on my music wow. <laughs> like I fellow for nine and a half years and I was super into theater and the arts um but I had played basketball from middle school into early high school and was just like I'm playing this for five years straight I played summer league AAU school ball all of it's like I was doing it all. Marquise is trying to be Allen Iverson up in his mug he's fine uh, you would have thought you would have thought <laughs> um but I had realized like I had been doing it just so I had like a sense of like closeness with my mom. But in reality, I was just like, oh, I'm just doing this to like have a connection. But in reality, this thing is not actually serving me. And so I think the first time I was able to like choose something for me was probably like ninth and 10th grade where I was just like, I am going to choose my instrument that makes me truly happy over um, something that just makes me feel connected to another person. I, that's the first time I chose like, for self and had realized like what am I sacrificing in order to like have something with someone rather than like being fulfilled and to like think around that at like 14 or 15 was like bonkers but like I think that had to be like an earliest the earliest moment for me um in terms of like advocating for myself and picking me first wow that's interesting you know and you funny enough you have a similar I have a slightly similar story to yours when it comes mm -hmm. to sports and transitioning to that so I was I didn't really play in school, but uh, uh, I was playing basketball a lot when I was young. Like mm -hmm. I play with my dad or I just play with myself or I play with friends. You know, I really was indulged in playing basketball a lot. And I wanted to middle school is usually the, you know, the time where you get to join like teams, you know, like the A team or the B yeah. team, whatever the case may be. Right. And I remember I was like, man, I'm going to join. I'm going to get I'm going to get to the team. I was telling my cousins about this. Like I, I really wanted to uh, I really wanted to shine. You know what I'm saying? So I told my dad, I was like, you know, I got to get this physical. So we got the physical yeah. and I'm about to head to tryouts, man. And my confidence just literally lowered because i was seeing niggas dunking off the goddamn rim and shit, people crossing people up and shit. i was just like bro i don't think i can do this so i chicken out right but funny enough um because i chicken out i guess in a weird way it led me into like really i was already a band uh i was already in band when i was like in fifth fifth grade i think like mm -hmm. fifth or fourth grade but i really started getting into that more you know um Cause I, you know, I, I had a lot of time on my hands. And then after that, I started getting into theater and speech and debate. 
So like, you know, I guess you could say in that sense, that really, that's how I found my voice and found my confidence to, yeah. you know, I guess, be where I'm at right now. So it's, it's kind of interesting that we have like slightly similar stories. Except See, that we you, was, didn't, you didn't chicken out, I chicken out. <laughs> now we were the OGs from like high school musicals based off of our life. I like to say we were wow. original Troy Bolton. Like, <laughs> I'm glad you said Troy Bolton and not the guy that was cooking and talking about some stick to the stuff that you stick to the stuff, you know? I said, hold on. <laughs> hold on. Is this Rachel? <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> that, that was insane that was insane so let me ask you this what were some creative things that you were doing growing up i know you talked about you know getting more into your music and you were doing theater what were some other creative things that you were into growing up or just talk about the specific things um that had to do with like the theater and the music that you were doing yeah um and so I was so big. And so my first love was my cello. It was either to choose the cello, the bass, or the saxophone. Wow. And in fourth grade. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I ain't standing up. So I'm definitely not doing the bass. Yeah. <laughs> so that's when I knew I was already lazy. Um, and then I was just like, ooh, but I also don't want to do marching band. So I'm definitely not doing a saxophone, but I love that. Wow, that's crazy. You know what's funny? <laughs> My, I wanted to be a percussion because, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, nigga, anybody, niggas with percussion is cool. They cool as fuck. I thought it was yep. a percussion. But my dad didn't want to buy it because it was so expensive. And I was like, Dad, I really want to do the percussion. Why are you not telling me? So I had to go with the second option, which is alto sax. So I was like, oh, okay, alto sax. You know, I the ladies like alto sax, you know what I'm saying? So I thought that was my second choice. So I stuck with that. But go ahead. Look. Uh, <laughs> and it's funny because then I had always been like, and I did. I'm. It's funny, like looking back at it now. But like, I was always following the routines to High School Musical, watching the Cheetah Girls, watching all these Disney Channel shows. Classic. And I would, I could pick up the routines like so fast. I'm just like, oh, okay. I didn't have like some of me didn't have rhythm, but I remember in eighth grade, um, I wanted to prove my siblings wrong. Then they were just like, well, you know, Marquise is really good at school. He plays an instrument. Like he's a golden child. And so in my mind, I said, I want to show you something that I can't do as well. And I'm going to put it on display for everybody so y'all can stop putting me on a stupid pedestal. Yeah. So we took um, me and one of my childhood friends. We took a routine from So You Think You Can Dance, um, oh, the wow. Bleeding Love routine. Yep. But, and we ended up practicing over and over again. And plot twist, the thing that I thought I wasn't going to be good at to prove a point to my siblings became my truest love <laughs> and when i tell you my eighth grade english teacher mr callback goes marquise i've never seen you lost in art i've never seen you so happy and joyful he was like you cannot lose dance like this is the thing that makes you come to life like yes you're good at academics but this thing fills your spirit in a way i've never seen before and he was religious so he was like i feel like i've seen i saw god like through you and that and um, I never, I didn't look back, right? I was just like, well, I'm going to take a chance. So I randomly reached out to a local dance crew. And so I was in a dance crew for all of my high school career. <laughs> you was in a local dance crew? I was in a local dance crew, Dramatic Influence. We performed all over in um, Philly and Penn State and Reading. And we were just, everybody oh. knew us. 
<laughs> so, have people done, ever recently popped up to you and be like, "Oh yeah, weren't you in that dance crew?" The people who oh, that's, go, only, nah. that's only when I go home and like randomly, if there's like a random connection of somebody from Penn State who knew me at that time, yeah. I was I was like the youngest member of the group, and so oh, I'm just wow. like, ah, what do I do? Um, so yeah, so <laughs> you find videos on YouTube. They're they're oh, up there. Hey, look them up, y'all. <laughs> you can find them. Look. And so that love of dance just expanded. I became the dance captain um, of my of the high school musical. So I was in, doing musical theater all throughout high school. Um, and then I helped choreograph my senior year project as the dance captain as well. So we did In the Heights and that was dope. I was able to have like the opening solo dance routine as Graffiti Pete. And I was just like, all right, I really love this dance thing. Took it to college. I was a dance captain for Guys and Dolls. And then I was, um, yeah, I was choreographing hip hop, lyrical hip hop in college. Um, but I took jazz and tap. I was not good at tap. Contemporary, foundational ballet classes. Like, I was like, all right, I just want to like explore. And so, like, dance had become my escape. It was the thing that I, if I was stressed out at school, I booked out the dance the dance room um and i was in the studio right and so that was like the place where i can get lost and that just like expanded my love of theater and so going to college i studied theater and video production i was a broadcast major and so i was scared to add on the theater because i was just like all right let me just make sure i get a degree that'll make me some type of money communications yeah Yeah. we out here (laughs) um and so from there, I was scared to like do a double major. I was just like, no, I don't want to feel indecisive. I need to just make sure I pick pick and decide on one. But I studied abroad my freshman year of college and I went to the Czech Republic and saw Theater for Social Justice for the first time. And it was a beautiful experience because it showed me the power of theater being like one of the purest forms of empathy I've ever seen in my life. Mm. Like you have to step into the character. You have to understand their history, why they do what they do. Um, the actions, the nuance, the little isms that they have, X, Y, and Z. And so I remember just getting lost in the character for the first time. And like, I knew I would like musical theater. You just dance. I was ensemble dance. Great. I, I knew my lane, but for me to like get into a role and do a straight acting role, that was the first time I like leaned in and I feel like I truly embodied the character. Like I, you couldn't say you were watching Marquise on stage. That's the first time I got that and was just like, I don't know what character I fell into or what thing I tapped into, but I remember being lost and I remember sitting down after I was a dramaturg. So like I had to study the world of the theater as well. So what was politically, socially, economically going on, artistically happening in music and style and architecture, all of that. So I can help inform the, um, the actors, um, but to be so enveloped in a world that wasn't my own was like a beautiful thing to happen. And I can see like why actors love what they do. And for me, that was the first time I truly felt like I was good at a craft and I was truly like lost in the craft. And so my love of my of music, my love of dance into my love of acting and theater, all kind of just like enveloped but i thought it was the dopest thing that you can like build a whole world (laughs) and people were just invited into it and they're just buying into it and so i was just like what and 
you get to have a discussion. You get to have layered conversations with so many different people because now you don't have to say like, I'm having this conversation with Marquise. Oh, I'm debating this character and what choices they made in order to figure out like, how do you actually think? What would you do in that moment? And how can we become better as a society? And so long-winded, but there's my story of like how art really helped me develop the person that I am today. And particularly like where my creativity started and how it got to, Marquise in 2023. <laughs> Marquise was a dancer. I I I, I never yeah. thought I would hear that ever. Yeah, I never thought. So <laughs> so um with with dancing, right? Uh, so like, did you have any like you know there was a bunch of, during that the height of like just like I guess you could say like j- d- competition like TV competition shows, right? So were you ever watching like? You know, like America's Best Dance Crew. So America's Best dance. dance Crew. So you, you, watch, you dance. I was. I did all of it except for Dancing with the Stars. Oh, okay. I watched every dance show possible. Every dance show. Did you have a particular one that you really, really liked? America's Best Dance Crew, because oh, I was part of it. Like I was part of one in that era. Yeah, Kappa Modern was always like my fave, and then Fanny Pack. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. I know everybody was on the Jabberwockies train, but I was just like, nah. And then So Real Crew, the smooth R and B, Brian Puspos. Yeah. Top tier and oh, I think he's also Houston. <laughs> Actually, I think they're all hey, they're Houston based. See? Come on, man. Yeah. You, gotta, you gotta give it up to us. But Ooh. um what's interesting too is uh, you know, like theater. So like, you know, like you were you were in it, you were doing musicals and stuff like that. Was there any anything was there any musical or any kind of like um play in particular that you really enjoyed doing during that time? Uh uh, two for very two different reasons. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the first play I did was Dog Sees God, and it's like a play on what happens to the um the Peanuts characters <laughs> from Charlie Brown. Interesting. Okay. And, and I low key got to play my favorite character, Linus. But in that um in that play, his name is Van, and he's a potheaded Buddhist. And this is before <laughs> doing any drugs or anything. What is what is going on? <laughs> exactly so it's a big existential crisis that's happening um but that was probably like my most outlandish role that i've ever played in my life and i was just like okay i have to inhibit somebody who's high and this is before i've ever been high in my life so i had no idea i'm 21 trying to figure out like all right so how high do i get what do i look like what are my movements um and so that role that was just fun because it was quirky and different but I really loved being able to be that character. Um, And then the second one is the play that I actually produced, directed, and starred in Top Dog Underdog for my senior project Mm. and by Susan Laurie Parks. And it's a (laughs) two-man show. And it's the first time I played an African-American specific character. Um, And I was really intentional around picking a play that I really loved. And Susan Laurie Parks really spoke to me in a different kind of way. Um, A wonderful playwright, really dope, really in-depth and really particular. And so playing the role of Lincoln, he's it's a story of these brothers named Lincoln and Booth. Yeah. And that that role stood out to me in particular just because I was like, I want to be able to like convey these this character and this tension between two brothers. And for this to be an opportunity for me to direct, and this isn't an easy show to do. Like this is oh, a two not. and a half hour play of two men, like having to exist and i'm with one of the people one a person that i think is like easily a extremely better actor than me right and to be able to play off of him and he's younger than me too 
was one of the coolest experiences because I got to learn so much around like his acting ability, some quirks that I had like as a director that I wanted to like play around with and figure out how do I use the stage? How do I use blocking X, Y, and Z? And that was so much fun because it challenged me in so many ways. It wasn't perfectly done. Um, but getting into that character and really getting into like one of his most like poignant monologues around how, why he does his job in that experience of him reliving people being able to like shoot Lincoln in the back of the head. And it's a bunch of white people doing it to a black man and white face. Like it's a very like wild. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it's, um, it was probably one of my favorite because I love plays that have a very particular social commentary, but more specifically like plays around like that is theater for social justice. And so, yeah, yo, that's that role. I remember leaving rehearsal every night and just having to like shake it off with Kima every single time of just like, all right, we just, that was super intense. These, (laughs) these lines are intense. What's going on is intense and having to like really replay that. And by the end of the play, like you, everybody knows the story of Lincoln and Boo. So we know by the end what happens, we can assume. And yeah, that was probably one of the most challenging, but most rewarding shows that I've ever done, but it's also stood out to me the most uh, in terms of plays that I've read. Yeah, no, Top Dog Underdog, um, amazing story, obviously. Um, for most people that probably know, it was a, 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 um, it was a play also that came out uh, with Yaya Abdul-Mateen II and Corey Hawkins, yes. you know, which won the Tony Award. Uh, yep. I don't, did you ever get a chance to see that play? When I tell you, that's the, my biggest regret. Oh, I just wow. I did not have a chance to see it, and I was Damn. so sad about it. Damn. Yeah, no, nah, yeah. that 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 play definitely did a did big numbers. I remember I remember I wanted to see it too. I never got to see it either. So mm-hmm. and me and you both, me and you both. But speaking of okay. dancing too, going back to dancing, like do you from what I see, it's clear that you don't dance anymore, I'm assuming, right? Mm-mm. I mean, when I'm out in the club, I'm a, I'll bust yeah, out a two step. Yeah, you know, you know, you do your little choreography of you know, obviously, yeah. but not, but, but not um, routine, nothing like that. Was there a reason for that? Life just started happening, to be honest. Like there was bits and times, like right after college when I moved back home to Reading, um, that I, I, I went and danced a little bit. I taught some kids, um, some routines with my best friend, um. But other than that, I don't know what happened. I think it was like some of my interests were shifting. I was really getting into the building out my podcast when I first got home. And so that just took a lot more time and dedication. And then just a lot more activist stuff began to happen. And so that love of dance took a back seat. But I think about it regularly of just like, all right, Marquise, what are you going to get back into it? Because at least just started taking some beginner classes and just finding where to start. I just got to put it back into my budget. Hey, man. Yeah, maybe you should teach some of these black people to do the Tamia line dance. Maybe, maybe you'll get some. <laughs> maybe it's the one I don't know yet. I don't know that one yet. You don't know. That I don't know that one yet. You. I don't know, you that, know one. that one. No, I don't know that get one. Get the fuck out of here! You've done all this contemporary dance, ballet, hip hop, break all that. You don't know the Tamia line dance. Now, granted, what... granted, I'm like halfway there. I'm almost. I'm halfway <laughs> there. I'm not like all the way there, but I'm halfway. I could do like the first like maybe five moves, but when they start, when they stop the spinning and go back to the, I'm like, yeah, I don't know what y'all doing over there. See, I, I can get that part down. Like footwork, quick. I can get that down, but I'm just like, all right, I just gotta sit down and do it. 
I got to do it. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Okay, okay, okay. Well, hopefully one day you will get back to it. I, I believe that will happen um, because, mm -hmm. like I say, you do many things. But now I can finally add that you were a dancer in your past yeah. life. So <laughs> that's what's up. But uh, let's transition and talk about you being a Black educator, right? Uh, mm -hmm. What made you go that route? And what has that journey been like for you? Oh, it was a whole accident. <laughs> <laughs> it was an accident? I didn't go to school for education. Anybody would tell you. Me at 22 said, I ain't messing with no kids. I ain't fucking with no kids. I don't like that. No, I'm wow. not. Because um, my first job out of college was being a full-time social media and content consultant. And so that's what I was doing. And I had just realized, like, this is miserable. I'm, a ta I'm not a task-oriented person. I'm a purpose-driven person. So, like, if my job does not have purpose, I don't want to do it. Um, and so I had realized that about myself my first year out of college. And then... My best friend was just like, Keith, there's this job and I think you'd be great at it. It talks around restorative justice, using STEM for social impact. So it was a residential program called Smash. Um, it was, I went to Wharton for the summer and was just like, oh, wait, I enjoy facilitating. I enjoy engaging in conversation. I love watching the, like the kids have the opportunity to like, have those moments of spark right like what happens when you give children the opportunity and resources to be their best selves dream and let them and challenge them to like step up right and so i was just like yo this is different but it had reminded me funny enough it had reminded me back to theater when i would do the talkbacks and so now when the audience is sitting there asking questions, they're just like, well, why'd you make that choice? And what was this for? And what language? And why'd you choose a set? And the costumes and X, Y, and Z? I could explain it. And so I knew how to captivate a crowd. And so I had realized, like, I had a love of it because quiet as a cat, teaching feels like theater. Like, you memorize a script. Mm. You have to make sure you know your rounds. Improvise if the students are getting it. Improvise if the students are not getting it. But education and teaching is quite literally theater that's what a lesson plan is it's your script <laughs> it's yeah, your yeah. No. no that's facts yeah and so I had realized like okay I really enjoy this space but I don't know if I want to get fully into the politics of education I don't want to have to like sit down and do the same thing over and over and over and over again and so I got into the after school space and I really loved that did a creative entrepreneurship uh passion to um, profit type situation and I love the after school space because I got to have informal, like develop informal relationships with the students and it was quicker, but I could also teach what I felt like. And then I was just like, but Marquise, you like a challenge. <laughs> I like a challenge. And so I was just like, all right, I love this, but I'm only making about $17 an hour. This after school thing is not paying me enough and I can't keep living like check to check. And then yeah. it wasn't it. And so I decided to, move into education, but I just wasn't, I didn't have the science of teaching down. I knew I had like innate skill to teach and facilitate, but I just didn't have the science and art of it. Excuse me. And so I was just like, great. I don't have a background in education, but I do have my bachelor's. And my friend had worked at um, some of the charter schools and was just like, you don't need an education degree to get in here and you're a black man. And so just apply, like you're yeah. a unicorn. <laughs> and so I ended up applying and I became a para. So I was working with seventh grade at first. In the six months of me working there, they were like, oh, no, nah, you should be a, you should be in front of a class. Like, what are you doing? 
And so I was promoted in my first six months. I became a fifth grade ELA teacher. Uh, fifth grade, you know, elementary is for a special kind of person, not for me. Yeah. For me. <laughs> not at all. No, that's babysitting, but, isn't it? <laughs> and so, <laughs> but I also didn't want to teach like the foundational stuff um either i wanted the stuff that was like refining the way that a, a student thinks right and so i started out in high school and so it only made sense for me to go back to high school and so i love being able to like read and i was a literature teacher and get into the text and all of that and so just learning the art of teaching and realizing like oh marquise you're actually really good at this even as an early career educator i knew it was actually a really solid instructor i knew how to deliver instruction really well I knew how to connect with students. So I did social emotional learning. I did literature. I did a black masculinity course. I, I got to do all of the. I get it. I get it. I get and there it. There goes Philly. Yeah. It's Philly, bro. It's okay. It's Philly. Make me ride them dirt bikes. It's cool. It's cool. And it is I right through. It. Yep. Um, but I, it was a great experience and a humbling experience because it just taught me to like learn, love learning again. Um, and love being able to just get better and better at a craft. I just wanted to always get better at stuff. And so that journey was really dope because I had so many dope teachers that I got to learn under. Um, I learned under an English teacher, a math teacher, and a social justice teacher. So I had the plethora of people to like learn from and really develop my own style and swag. And I would always ask questions too, because I'm just like, this is boring. Like, why is this the script? Why are we teaching like this? I don't think this is the way that students should be teaching. And I'm always an agitator in education. I'm always just like, how can we do this better? Yeah. <laughs> and so I found my love of just being in the classroom and connecting and like watching students be able to have their aha moments and teaching as much as we see like the complaints around teaching. And there are things that just come with teaching. Like for me, I was just like, I don't have a work-life balance in a way that I want, even with them summers off, wow. <laughs> even with holidays off. But just knowing that, like, you go into a building five days a week, sometimes you are there for eight hours, sometimes you're there for 10 hours, then the students have basketball games or things that they want you to attend, you're never, never really done. And so I think for me, that had to be, that's probably like the piece of education that just was not providing me for the life that I wanted right now, right? And so the other pieces of education that keeps me is the community, to be honest, like, I got to work in a school full of black people, black children, <laughs> led by black men and black women and black people. Like I had That's always fire. had such a really dope journey of never having to feel like I was othered in any environment that I worked in. And so to have leaders who are so like dedicated to the to the art and not every leader is perfect. Right. They're not. But the leader that I got to go under, especially in my last year of teaching in the classroom, I was able to challenge. I was able to like push. I was able to ask questions. I was able to support. I fucked up a lot. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> um, but to know like there was a community there that you just build because I'm sitting there. I'm just like, yeah, you get the routine in the morning. I walked in, I threw on Bobby Senga, and then I students would just sit there and be like, why do you watch this dude every morning? Just sit, or sit around and DJ. And then, um, <laughs> but I was a different experience for the kids as well. And so going from a space of wanting to challenge, having leadership that was willing to push me and invest in me. And then that last piece of being a model for students that they just never saw, right? They would look at me and just be like, Mr. Richards, I've never seen like an educator like you before. 
they're just like you're always asking us about our feelings you're always playing like jazz music and like neo soul and you're just like so inviting and warm and safe and so they knew if they needed anything come to me for a hug come to me for like some emotional advice development and stuff like that and i worked at all boys school so to have that opportunity to see the ways in which like students were so they're just like we need you here we want you here we like we value you so much because it was just getting asked questions that they didn't get asked before and feeling like they're finally being heard and so to have that kind of level of impact and have that have students who want to like be my mentee and just like no I want to learn from you like in all my years of teaching I can say I I have six mentees that like regularly check in all the time um and text me like are you okay today and i'm sitting there i'm just like what made you smile this way and doing all it and so yeah i think my development as a black male educator it's been unique because i've been in rooms i'm friends with a lot of school leaders i'm friends with a lot of teachers i've met some amazing friends through education i've met some amazing students invested in so many amazing families and you don't realize the level of impact you have when yeah. you can walk down the street and get on the train and I can see three students that I had walking down the street and they're just like, yo, Rich, where you been? I've been I miss you, man. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so I know there's a lot of stuff that goes on with education and the way that education is under attack today, but I don't think I will ever fully leave being an educator. That's it's most likely gonna be the job I retire in if I'm not a professor by the time I retire. Yeah. But I know I'm going to be teaching in some capacity because it's so important. And so like, to me, that has always been like my level of investment and being able to like, really like give back and um, find something that I feel like I'm good enough to like give a per. I have a purpose in this. Right. So yeah, long winded, but community. No, I love these. Am- no, I love these answers. <laughs> don't, don't ever switch it up, bro. I love yeah, these answers. Yeah. I'm just listening to you, bro. We're giving you your flies because like I said, just even talk about you talking about the impact that you have in these on these black boys, you know what I'm saying? Like, talk to me about like how important it is to develop those relationships with these black boys when you're um teaching all the time. Yeah, it's yeah, it consistency. It's important. Mm-hmm. Like this level of investment's always gonna be there. And that impact is going to be uh, like to dial it back for two seconds. Teaching is the scariest job I've ever had in my life. <laughs> I, I can't, I, I'm pretty sure it's really scary. It has to be. It's scary because it's the pressure of just like, I am terrified of like fucking a kid up. Like, I don't want to like ever be, and I've done it, right? And I I, I make mistakes. I'm human, but I don't ever want to be like the villain in a student's story. Like I, I'm older, I'm grown, I'm learning, um, but you're also molding the minds of tomorrow. <laughs> and that shit is scary. And so when you so think like the about, future is in your hands in a sense. Yeah. And so it's just like you have to have a level of like accountability for the students because you also can't just allow them to go into the world thinking that they can get away with anything and not have to work. Right. And you have to affirm them in spaces as well, because schools are usually the first place where Black kids are not affirmed. They're told you're too much. You're doing this. I'm not going to deal with this. You got an attitude. You're too, like something's always wrong. And so I don't, I'm really cautious around the ways that I speak to students. I'm really cautious around the ways that I'm 
like even delivering content. Like I don't want to, I, if there's one thing I have known and I will always stick by as a teacher is develop the skill before you try to save anybody's life, develop the skill. Mm. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, giving somebody a shitty education is one of the biggest detriments you can do to the black community point blank period. That's a fact. And that's what I, I, I can't, when I see teachers who just have a low level of investment, when I see teachers who are just like miserable at what they're doing, students feel that. And that's not fair. And that's, it's the reason I had to leave the classroom for a little bit. Like if I'm fully honest, I was like, I am falling out of love of teaching right now because my priorities are elsewhere. So on my last month or so of teaching, maybe even in two months, I was burnt out. I was tired. I was I was cranky. I just did not feel like my students were getting the best of me. And I was like, that's not fair because I'm still dreaming around like podcasting and content creation and just taking a chance. I'm like, I'm not even I'm not even 28 yet. I'm 27 right now. Right. And so I want like that uh, opportunity to do so. And so when I had to sit there and like sit down with some of my students um, and talk to them, they were just like, but Richard's. If you like, you can't tell us to be our most authentic selves. You can't tell us to um, follow our passions and our dreams. And we know what makes you what you love. And so they were just like, if you were going to leave us for anything, don't leave us for no other school. Yeah. Leave us to follow your dream. And so I always like keep that on my back because I'm just like, if I fail this, then there was no reason for me to ever leave my students and so they for me i need to succeed for myself but i also need to succeed so they also recognize like it is possible to make it in this content creation game no matter what you no matter what it looks like right like i still am going to keep my nine to five because you know benefits are nice and i do want to have the opportunity to travel for my content to talk and be able to like show them that this is also a viable space that you can get in in the next couple years because it'll be even more hopefully solidified by the time we're in our late thirties. Right. And so it's an easier opportunity for them to open up that door and see the, it's a possibility model. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. And you were just, um, just talking about just like, you know, the politics of education and things in that nature, man. Like, you know, for example, like the Texas education agency here, they're, they're literally like, like I guess like from what I remember, the Texas Education Agency, they are trying to basically take over HISD because of, quote unquote, poor performance from standardized testing and stuff like that. When it really the real reason behind it is because it's just lack of uh, resources, lack of mm-hmm. access to certain things. So, no, they're trying to like turn it around and like kind of like change it into like something different and a lot of teachers and educators and a lot of people that work at HIZ are wondering what does this all mean and then not giving them the answers that they want Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying so like just stuff like that like you talk to talk about if you can just like some of the politics of education uh where uh, where you're at and like how how it could negative negatively affect just like a school system in general yeah, uh, Lord, there's a <laughs> a scroll. Right, so it's a scroll, man. <laughs> it's a scroll, and I I think this is for me. I think this is the where the impact of the pandemic really showed itself. And so, yes, we had our protests. Yes, um, we had a lot of these bigger social movements. 
But quiet is kept. And it was very quietly done unless you were paying attention to it. Education was getting hit left and right and left and right and left and right. Right. And so what are you able to teach? How can you teach? Excuse me. What is interrogating the standardized test? There was so much opportunity to really reimagine and implement new opportunities for education during the pandemic because we realized how much of a deficit there was. And in that moment, too, they're also rolling back what education will look like and the type of education that people are allowed to get. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at the them attacking um, critical race theory, when you look at them attacking what students are able to read in schools, banning books, all of this is an opportunity to suppress information. And so when you're suppressing this information, this no longer means that I can critically engage with that reality of the world that I live in because, oh, we can't talk about race. Oh, we can't talk about gender. Mm-hmm. Oh, we can't talk around sexuality. We can't talk around the world that we live in because if we don't have literature to reflect where we're at, how are we able to actually understand what's going on in the world? No, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And so I do think like this attack on education is really like the the biggest crime and the biggest injustice that happened, despite like, yes, mass incarceration, police brutality. But what they are doing with education right now, formerly incarcerated people are having trouble getting an education. Currently incarcerated juveniles, justice are all talking around what does education start to look like and how do we get students to at least be able to have a livable wage? Because guess what? (laughs) Your access to education is directly tied to your quality of life and your life expectancy. And so when you put all of this together, it's a meticulous way to just slice and dice and slice and dice. You keep some niggas ignorant and you let them die sooner Yeah. because now I can't compete in the rest of this world. And so whether it's true or not, not well, no, it's just very true. Yeah. But um, I think around the attack on education, I think around like what the data and the research has showed us and I'm also thinking around the privilege that it is to be able to, for me to have like my four-year degree. And so, yeah, I still believe in like post-secondary options and I will always be someone who will encourage going to college and getting a degree because at least if I have a four-year degree, my life expectancy goes up at least (laughs) 10 years, right? Yeah. And so these are the pieces that I've been thinking about a lot more and just interrogating as they talk around rolling back affirmative action. Now these other universities have to truly step up and really show like, how are you going to go above and beyond for our students? And what level of investment in education do you actually have? Public education, charter, private, independent. These are all things that need to be working together, but they just are there. Everybody's just missing the mark. Yeah. And so for me, I'm just like, I hope to see more people really start to understand education is the biggest injustice of 2020 of the pandemic and how they've been attacking it. But because people are so tired and people just don't have the capacity, it's people with platforms, it's people who have influence, it's these school leaders, it's teachers that have to really be able to give information because guess what? If I don't know what's going on, if I'm just trying to get through my day to day, I don't have the capacity to actually think around what's happening in my child's education. That lift then goes to the teacher. That teacher then puts that lift on their school leader. <laughs> and then and then the school leader is expected to go above to the board and then the board to the policies and all of that. So when you really look at this ripple effect, creating conditions where we don't have the capacity to advocate or get information or even know where to start with this information is going to be a detriment because we will continue to think that this is normal. 
and we will not question or interrogate what's so messed up. And everybody knows something is messed up, but people don't know what to pinpoint. People don't know what measurements to like measurable data to look at. People don't know what a viable solution always looks like. And so at this point, we're all attacking and not actually listening and understanding whose role is what. My role as a teacher, I'm closest to your to your child because I see them every single day. Yeah. I'm and I know they get on, I know I get on my school leaders' nerves, but I always ask, like, what are you doing? And they're doing a lot that that protects us. And sometimes we do have to go above and beyond to really understand like how to advocate on all fronts because every single stakeholder must coexist in order for us to really have a a viable future so yes politics of education is exhausting because it just feels like this is something that we won't be able to come back from because we won't see any viable data for the next 10 to 15 years until we start seeing what actually happened and and like you just you just hit the nail on the head like and it's just so unfortunate um like for example right i was just um the, what I was talking about earlier was the Texas, Texas Education Agency. They um, uh, announced that it's moving forward with plans. This was like months ago. Moving forward with plans to take over the Houston Independent School District after a closed door meeting. It says rumors of a state takeover of its largest school district may have been looming over for weeks. Uh, it also says that uh, the origins of the takeover are nearly four years old, stemming from a 2019 filing by the Texas Education Agency at the Wheatley High School recorded five consecutive years of poor accountability ratings. Since then, the campus moved to a C ranking. HISD is rated as a B district overall. Uh, it says, um, Texas Education Commissioner Mike Morad said at a meeting Wednesday morning, according to U.S. Representative Sheila Jackson-Lee, that he was forced by state law to intervene in the district, pointing to the House Bill 1842, which permits state intervention when a school campus in the district has five consecutive failed years. However, Lee said the agency also has the option not to intervene. Um, and then it says, as far as the next steps, Morad said he plans to oust the current elected HISD board members and replace them with a board of managers. Those members who Morad wants to have in place by June mm -hmm. 1st must be eligible to vote in the Houston area. State control could also mean removing HISD Superintendent Millard House II, who issued a statement shortly after the news broke Wednesday. Um, and then, yeah, it's just, it's a lot of stuff. Uh, it says HISD board officials dropped their lawsuit against the state last week and said that they were open to speaking with state officials. And it's just, a, it was a whole bunch of stuff. And it was a protest everywhere. It's, it was a whole yep. bunch of stuff. Because people forget at the end of the day, education is still a business. Mm -hmm. it, it is still a business. And it's so tragic that this is how people play with other people's livelihoods. And I, man, so much, so much into that. Nah, so really it, it's a lot and then you was just mm -hmm. talking about banning books and this is in houston as well like harris county libraries declared a book sanctuary amid state crackdown i know bro it oh, says snap. i know all four harris county commissioners voted tuesday to turn the and this was published in september 19 2023 also too this were these were both written by a woman named kennedy session shout out to her i've been reading a lot of her work um getting mm -hmm. information on this as well because I, I i really am just shot that these things are happening. So it says all four Harris County commissioners voted Tuesday to turn the Harris County Public Libraries into a book sanctuary system. According to the resolution, the book sanctuary, the book sanctuary um, distinction is meant to combat censorship, defend intellectual freedom, and protect the right to read. Um, Cause yeah, a lot of Texas is really trying to ban books and censor stuff. And 
it's a whole bunch of stuff too. I believe there was one story that came out, if I'm not mistaken, about uh, them trying to like shut down like certain libraries in schools. It's, wow. It, yeah, it's really crazy. I gotta I gotta find it because I don't want to misquote. But yeah, that's that was a whole thing as well. Like Texas, their policies are just uh, ridiculously trash. I can't What's even tell you. Oh yeah, it says. The Houston Independent School District announced a plan to eliminate 28 libraries and replace them with a center for work and discipline at the allegations of poor academic performance. And that's all based off all that Texas Education Agency shit that was happening. Yeah. Oh, no, nah, that's wild. That's, that's wild. actually wild. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Think about that. I'm in shock, y'all. Yeah. That limit that limits kids' access to get books and read and get educated and all that. other. Sh- it's a whole... Yeah, it's a it's a lot of things that are gonna get affected by these things, and it's it's completely unfair. Yeah, and it, man, and it's just wild because I I'm such a firm believer in the power of literature and the power of books and the power of reading and that intellectual freedom and the ability to like critically engage with the world around you because that's how people learn. At the end of the day, I always tell people, I said, I didn't learn history from simply memorizing some dates in history books. I understood history through the context in which literature and music was being written. And so if this is people's gateway into understanding how the world operates, how something outside of their zip code operates, they will never be able to have access to this. And so, like I said, we need to be paying attention to how they have been attacking books, how they've been attacking education, how they've been attacking Black books and access to them like that is really oh my gosh I know. and to see texas i'm i'm not not surprised right like not i know surprised. like this is how this is how texas gets down and yeah. politically i would like, say <laughs> yeah poli- i would say politically yes yes and so i'm just like i didn't even think about like the book sanctuaries and having to like utilize that like that language right and so that's also something i'm thinking around like that was a new terminal new piece of terminology to me is a book sanctuary and so like that is wild that this is like policy that we have to think about and like it's not the first time a book has been banned either but the rate at which they are being banned and people are retroactively having like some revisionist history is bonkers to me and so Man, that's why. Yeah. All right. So I'm gonna definitely have to sit down with what what was her name again? Uh Kennedy Sessions. Yeah. Kennedy she's Sessions. been she's yeah. been highlighting. Uh you can look her up. Just type in like Kennedy Sessions Cron. All right, I might even send it to you. She's an amazing writer. Yeah. She's been covering the whole HISD uh and Texas Education Agency situations for months. So like yeah. she's really well versed on what is going on. I would definitely recommend like if you need her information, like I'll definitely give her an Instagram. You can talk to her, like, because she she definitely knows what's going on in there. Most sure. definitely, yeah, you know, thank yeah, you. Yeah, the politics is trash over there for education. I'm, yeah. It's crazy, but let's uh, move on. You know, <laughs> let's talk about some of the many podcasts that you've done, and just tell me what they were about and your favorite memories from them. Okay, you ready? All right, let's go. All right, number one, dear Reading. The level of impact that it had, uh, that was easily like the first podcast that felt so diverse in thought and so much fun to do. Like I, I looked forward to every Sunday afternoon, spending my afternoon with them. So definitely like the laughter, but definitely like the impact of local. We became like a local media space for people. And so the fact that they wanted to listen to like 
for black people, for black millennials of all different like education um, levels was so dope to me. So easily like one of the best. All right, This American Negro. I got to be in my intellectual bag for that one. That's the first time <laughs> I tried something solo. I said, oh, this one is, it is fun. And it was the most research heavy podcast I ever made. Like I scripted out probably over 50 episodes for that. Man. Yeah. That's but this. yeah, that's my, that's my journal right there. That's, that's <laughs> your journal. Okay. Okay. The Rational Anger Podcast. Oh, to get four other intellectual, like four intellectuals together to just discuss. That was like an expanded version of This American Negro, actually. Mm. Um, and so I was just like, information shouldn't just exist in one person's thought. Information is best done when interrogated from four different perspectives. And so I was just like, yeah, let's do this. It didn't last as long as my other shows. Um, just like creative differences and stuff happened, but definitely just lots of really i think we did a solid 20 episodes of like my college friends doing that so we're all just like in different spaces of um academia that we were like all enjoying this together gotcha gotcha and last but not least this is we oh <laughs> it's the most fun i've had on the podcast <laughs> i the most fun the most vulnerable um and it was all just because it was like all for our common love of this is us. <laughs> so. Which, if you guys do not know, it's a show on I believe NBC. Uh, yep. I've never seen it, but I I've heard that it just makes you cry a lot. And I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if I'm yeah. ready to cry a lot on a show. Yeah. I don't think I've ever Season cried nine. for a show. Oh, I'm a crybaby. I I cry. I man, I've been I've been like fear. I've been like, damn, that sucks. But I ain't never been like. <laughs> oh yeah, but season one, okay. episode eighteen is gonna gut you alive. <laughs> if, I ever, if I ever watch This Is Us, that's what's gonna gut me alive. Okay. Yes, it it will. You will not be ready for it. Yeah, that was so much fun because it was uh, me and three, well, two friends, and then I met somebody based on that uh, podcast. Um, Alex Holmes, Eden McKenzie, and Toby Rachel all from the UK. And that was so much fun. Like that was definitely one where they were five hours ahead, but we were all willing to like engage in this conversation together because of our love of the show. And so we're on WhatsApp, like, all right, y'all, what's going on? We need a support group. Oh, we're all earth signs. We're all Virgos <laughs> and Capricorns. Why not all just get into, let's just do this. And we all had our own separate podcast that we did. And so to come together and do that one together, so much laughter, so much vulnerability, so much, the most lighthearted one I've had yet. No, nah, most definitely. Uh, yeah. Funny enough, you was just um, speaking of podcasts. Like I said, you've done so many. When I was starting this podcast, you know, I had some people like that. I, you know, I was asking for advice on how to like start it, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But one of the one of the things that really helped me out, uh, I never got to tell you this, but your video on tips on like how to do a podcast and stuff like that that you had. That was one of the videos that really helped me start what this is, like just how to do a podcast and stuff like that and just hearing your story. So like, I, I gotta say like your video definitely did help me out. Uh, more oh, ways. that makes my heart so happy. Yeah. So, wow. <laughs> hey man, I gotta I got to tell, let the podcast king know, you know what I'm saying? I gotta let the podcast oh. king know. But yeah, no, that, that uh, your video definitely helped me out in the, in the best way possible. And Aww. you know, with your current podcast, Keeping It A Bean, you know, yes. which discusses uh, culture and social justice and life over a cup of coffee or tea. What can people expect when they press play on this show? 
Oh, imperfection. <laughs> yeah i i had realized like throughout my podcasting journey you had seen like so many like iterations of me and so when my podcast became like a real big platform and people were looking to my voice i felt like i had a, a larger social responsibility and i was just like yeah i can show you the intellectual the activist side the educator um but i also like didn't want to be pigeonholed anymore either. I was so this when I tell you I've been working on keeping it a bean for a year, man, and just so scared to like put it out because I was just like, people know me for this American Negro, they know me just for like this one thing. But I'm like, I want people to also see like the side of me when I talk to my friends and still like have an intentional conversation and discussion, but like get to know me through the people that I also interview because these yeah. are people that are like personal to my life. And so like the first episode was like, was with my best friend roommate. Mm-hmm. That's like my little sister. And just to see like the, the different energy of us just laughing and y'all seeing like the synchronicity that we have and just the nonsense of jokes <laughs> <laughs> that are in there. Um, it was a great opportunity for me to be able to one reflect on my creative journey Y'all get to know me through, like, my love of, I, I drink two cups of coffee every single day. Like, that's the one thing I'll be truly Insan- bougie about. Insanity. And, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> and I shall, okay? It's part of my morning routine. Yeah. And you also, I still get to be poignant, right? And I get to have a little bit more fun in this platform. So what people are did not see yet is going to be a lot more storytelling happening. It's going to be some more fun content because I'm not going to always be in front of the camera for keeping it the bean. Sometimes I'm going to have my friends hop in and I really was just like, I want to make fun content that is like cocoa butter. I want to make fun mm-hmm. content that still allows me to be tapped in with the culture. And so I can talk about music one week and take a breath. And the last week I talked around like the disparity and protection and like really working on that. And then this week I'm talking around like, let black people be let black men be sassy right like, yeah yeah i haven't checked the episode out yet but i'm definitely good with, i'm definitely yeah. i've seen the other episodes for sure like that one when you when you put that title i was like oh this is gonna be something yeah, yeah, yeah but it's just it's fun because now i get to i don't not confine to one specific way that i can deliver my content i really have fell in love with producing and i love being able to like be in that space to produce other content or tell different stories because once again i think I found myself having the best conversations in a coffee shop and most unexpected conversations in the coffee shop. I will spend six to eight hours in the coffee shop and not know how much time has went by. Right. And that's that's the conversation I have with some of my friends. Right. And strangers. And so just to be inviting people into a space where now they can see the example and like the stories of how I got to where I am and why I think the way that I think. To me, keeping it being allows for a very authentic version of myself that doesn't have to be prim and polished, that doesn't have to be politically correct, but it invites people to just develop empathy through the art of storytelling and the art of challenge, affirmation, accountability, and some coffee or some tea and laughter. (laughs) So it's all like a big culmination, but I hope people get to see a little bit more fun. I hope people still are able to resonate and people can relate. Um, to this particular format that I'm trying out this time. And it's been so much fun because this is still my brain baby and I get to do whatever the fuck I want with it. Of course, of course. And like yeah. like you say, you, you get to produce content. You you know, you do have a podcast. You're, you're an amazing creator, but you're also an amazing host. 
and you're the host of your live music and music analysis event, due diligence, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Why was, so why was it important for you and your co-host, Balmore, to have a space for upcoming artists in the area to showcase their talent? It, when I tell you we're sitting in a car and we are just listening to music and Balmore, I, I got to geek out for a second. I think he is probably one of the most talented people in Philadelphia. Mm. He is meticulous. He is so professional. He is so creative and he has such a freaking beautiful ear right and a talented singer all of the things and so he is somebody i had admired because we actually met each other through our jobs as teachers oh, <laughs> so, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah and um for him i'm just like you are somebody who takes care of your craft i respect people who are intentional with their craft and so me and him sitting in a car i'm like bringing in like oh yeah they chose this chord and they've done and they're thematically talking around this and then he's just like yeah bro but did you hear this and did you hear how they constructed the song i'm so fascinated but he was tapped into philly's artist scene in a way that i wasn't mm. but we both love talking and dissecting music we love live music and so we were just like yo have you done your due diligence on this person and i said there's a show name due diligence so it started there and then from due diligence, we were just like, well, we're all, I can dissect Beyonce. I can dissect Hove, Kendrick. We can break down these albums from themes to lyrics to production to all of that. Philly got talent right in front of us. Talk they about are it. putting out amazing projects. And so I said, great. Now, what is the thing that Tiny Desk is missing? An interview component. I want a dissect podcast level interview component to this show i want to interview how they interview on rat radar i want to interview when i see these music critics and it ultimately became a further conversation where we were able to uncover as we're listening and talking to each other we want to combat the lazy consumer people do not listen to music anymore and it's just like the quick pieces and so we were just like how do we take our skills as somebody who literally creates music and has worked with these artists and somebody who is so good at analysis, right? I took my theater skills of understanding what is going on outside to understand how that can impact somebody's art. We're both pretty decent interviewers. We bounce off of each other really well. And then from there, we were able to sit down with one singular project from a single artist of our choosing. He picks one every other month. I pick one every other month. Mm -hmm. And we sit down and we listen to their work. We dissect the instrumentation. We dissect themes. We figure out a little bit more about the artist and we sit down for an hour and a half. They play six songs unplugged or with a backing track. The first 25 minutes, we interview them so the audience gets to know them. They play two more songs. Then we interview them again and really get into like the lyrical and thematic content. Then they do another two songs. And then the audience gets to do their own due diligence because it might be their first time interacting with the artist. Or they can now listen to the artist and come in as a fan to ask some questions. So you get to one, get in front of your favorite local artist. Then the artist is also appreciative because I don't know how many people anymore are coming up and saying like, yo, this out al- the way you constructed this album, what was it like for you internally? And then when you give it out to the world, that's for everybody else's consumption. That art is no longer yours, right? And so for us, we were just like, how do we go back to the artist's intention? And 
how do we also get to like nerd out with some of our favorite artists that are locally here based in Philly, New Jersey and Delaware, right? And so that has been like so much fun of just like hearing the talent and exposing people to new talent and partnering with different people and really getting people to like really consider music in a way that they haven't before or didn't feel like they had the ability to do it. So every time somebody leaves an event and they're like, I'm going to go listen to this artist and I want to debate how what I thought about this project and I want to actually listen to the lyrics and then see how production adds to the lyrics and that like for me I'm just like yes I'm getting you to critically engage we are getting you to critically engage with music in the ways in which that it should be so you can fully respect the entirety of the artist and not just a quick loose single that you put out not just a quick I don't and I don't mind a good banger yeah but I want something I can sink my teeth into because that makes me come back to it. It makes it important and it makes me, it resonates with me in different ways. Man, that is, that is such a dope concept. And I, I'm really glad that you and Balmore are even doing this, uh, like I said, for the local um, talent scene in Philly. And speaking of the local talent scene in Philly, where are some local um, Philly musicians that a lot of people should check out? Off Rip the Inglorious. That, okay. gru- that group, the Inglorious? Oh man, and please listen to their uh uh piece, their EP. It is amazing, but they also just debuted their album earlier this year as well, so it's their big project as well. So what have we learned here? Amazing group of men, artists, and the way that they compress their music, you feels like you're quite literally listening to vinyl in your ear. It is mm. insane. Um who else? Then we also have um, Noel Scales, R&B, hip-hop, soul artist, rapper, real, like, you know, she's from the house of Lauryn Hill. Okay. To hear the stuff that she's talking about and to know that she also got a set of pipes on her is insane. Like, that's who they should be listening to. Balmore. Um, who else? Julian King, if you're, like, a fan of, like, some pop R&B kind of space really really dope artists as well and so um yeah those are a couple just name off rip but a mixture of women all black people women queer femme and then um just solid instrumentation like just really solid musicians man shout out to all those amazing philly artists man make sure y'all check them out whenever y'all get the chance so this this um this topic i really wanted to talk about what is something that i feel like it's needed to be talked about. You know, you, mm-hmm. you speak so, um, I hate to say this, but yes, you do speak eloquently, I might add, uh, about how important it is for Black men to be more vulnerable, emotionally intelligent, transparent, and even conversations about toxic masculinity, how we need to hold other Black men accountable when they're wrong and much more. Why do you believe it's significant for Black men to know about these certain things? Oh, I know it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I'll just say, like, it's important for Black men to really engage in all of this self-reflection and critical reflection so we can live, right? Mm-hmm. So our entire community can live. Um, it's important because we tend to, uh, I worry that we don't ever get to express our, live in our fullness and our express our full humanity in this world. And so we leave the world in regret or we leave the world lonely, Right. And that is such a scary thing to me. And if we are not reflective in how we show up for other people, if we are not thoughtful of how we show up for our community, a lot of Black men are dying alone. Like, 
the amount of nurses that reached out when I said black when I made like a black men are lonely video and said, yeah, no, they are dying without community. <laughs> we are dying with nobody around us because we were so just like either reserved or did not want to engage with people or were harmful to other people or harmful to ourselves. And so when we are engaging with transparency and vulnerability, it allows you to give yourself a little bit more grace. It allows you to like deny societal pressures of how you are expected to show up as a man. And you get to show up so much better. Everybody, more people want to be around you. You get so much more life. You live longer. You're happier, right? Um, and so, yeah, I think it's just a way for us to like live, for us to be in community, for us to feel whole and for us to not reflect on life in, in regret. And so- that's like a quick answer for that. No, absolutely. Um, I just feel like, um, you know, when you're young, when you were, when, you know, when I was young, I would say like, you know, it was kind of like you were taught to like not show emotions and not to mm -hmm. be, not to be vulnerable and things of like things of that nature. And I, I just couldn't be that. I think that just wasn't who I was, you know what I'm saying? Cause mm -hmm. everybody was taught, everybody, you know, that you were, you know, the men that you surround yourself with were telling you like, that's not what a man is. But, but right. then it's like, okay, what is a man? You know what I'm saying? What is that? You know what I'm saying? Is a man just supposed to just go to work, come home and provide for their family? Now I feel like a man should be emotionally available to the people mm -hmm. around them. They should be able to cry. They should be able to feel sad. They should be able to feel um, seen and heard and all these other things. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I feel like this machismo like aspect that has been kind of like has been kind of like put in, onto us as young as young black boys and into men is is really I guess in a sense toxic. Or even not even toss it, but yeah, mm -hmm. it just it just neg negatively impacts not only you as a person, but just even the community that you should put you should try to surround mm -hmm. yourself with. Yeah, it's scary. I watch it happen every single day, right? And so I'm just like, the amount of times that I can ask a young boy or a young man, like, what do you need in this moment, and the ways in which they cannot answer that question, I'm just like, yo. But then you see the men that they're around too. And they're just like, yo, you can't answer this question. And it's like, you don't get that until you are in older age most times where now you can reflect and you don't feel the need to be this man and like have a certain level of social capital or have or portray this level of power, right? Because I feel safe enough to not have to always be the provider. I feel safe enough to be able to cry. I feel safe enough to be able to just say, hey, you hurt me or you disappointed me. And that's okay. And so oftentimes, like, we are rewarded for our anger and scolded for the very same thing, but we are more scolded for vulnerability and tears than anything. And that stuff is, that's not fair to anybody. That's not fair because when you get to the rest of your life, you don't know how to manage your emotions, but when you express hurt to somebody else and you're like, yo, you hurt me, they don't know how to handle it either. <laughs> and so I'm just like, being a black man in this world, it's not that that stuff is not fair considering like what patriarchy places onto us, what we've taken from patriarchy and dealing with the race on top of that and still having our shit to deal with. So I think doing this kind of work and speaking to this, it's a uh, it's healing work for me personally and like the space that I've grown into. And it's an opportunity for and I'm not like super religious, but I think there's something powerful in bearing witness and having permission to somebody else doing it. So I will always say like, I think some of the best comments that I've gotten from 
my platform have been women and men talking around like, yo, you helped me connect with my husband better. You helped me connect with my son better. You helped me engage in tough conversations that I didn't know I could have. And so to see that outpouring of DMs and people reaching out and sitting there randomly on the street and people just saying, thank you. Like, that's different. And that's the impact that I'm just hoping that everybody, and you know, I'm just, I just want people to have empathy for each other again. I want people to just like, feel okay to give grace to another person again. And so that's why I continue to have these conversations. That's why I want to continue like telling stories around my own journey, around heartbreak, around um, rejection, denial, understanding self, um, healthy relationships, friendships. Because if we are not talking about this from a place of like, responsibility and i'm thinking as somebody with a platform i don't want to just like be fully hurt all the time but i want to be able to like by the time i can talk around this stuff i can reflect on like what i could have done better what was going on and really just be able to like tell an honest story so other men and other people can just bear witness to like yo effie we all got pain and so how can we all get through it so yeah Yeah, for sure for sure and you're not alone in the world oh no absolutely um yeah you're not alone especially and you're absolutely right when you say that uh you know it just kind of actually reminded me of something uh have you heard of the black man project i haven't Oh, okay. So it's a basically a nonprofit rooted in creating safe spaces for healthy conversation, exploring the many nuances that affect black men and boys, and just basically like healing from all the from healing from all oh, that. That's fire. Yeah, it's actually created by this guy named Brian Ellison. Um, yeah, and they funny enough, they actually have this short film that they worked on too called Un- Unmasculinity. Basically saying, what is masculinity? Why do we view masculinity the way we do in the black community? Why are black men not able to experience the full emotional range? How do we unravel and redefine the concept of black masculinity? This film will dissect the history of masculinity in the African-American community in hopes of uncovering the answers to these questions. Uh, Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to, I actually, funny enough, I actually interviewed the founder of of the Black Man Project a couple of months, I think in the beginning of this year. Uh, no, nah, I think it's something that you should really check out uh, for sure. I'm yeah. going to share that to you as well, because nah, um, I think you really like what they share, the stories that they're told, they're telling. They also have group therapy sessions. Uh, I don't oh, know. Sweet. I don't know if it's virtual or in person, but yeah, definitely uh, check them out whenever you get the chance. But I, I feel like it's we'll very do. important for black men to really be OK with having that emotional range. And I feel like you've done your due diligence, no pun intended, <laughs> uh, really. uh not only educating about those certain situations, but even sharing your own personal stories as well. Yeah. And I I can't wait. I'm like working on a project now. I just want to sit in a room with like all of my closest guy friends. (laughs) Um, Just because I've had so many and so many different iterations of my life, but I can say like the black men in my life that I call some of my closest friends have challenged me, have loved on me, have taken care of me, have watched me break down, have watched me at my lowest. And these are some of the funnest friendships I've ever had. And so just like being able to sit down with my boys and if you, ha- I might just put a picture up of just like the range of like my close male friendships that I have. <laughs> it's, so, it's so vast. Yeah. <laughs> 
but they are the ones who taught me um, and we taught each other to be vulnerable with one another, to navigate conflict with one another, to challenge each other, um, to know how to show up for each other, because it's like um, it's a support system that is unlike any other when you get there. And not one that is rooted in anger and jealousy or competition. It is one and genuinely invested in how you are. And so one of my group chats, we, you know, we call ourselves the Ginyu Force. Okay, uh, <laughs> okay. Dragon Ball Z okay. reference. I fuck with it. I um, but that group of men, like going to college with them, we leaned on each other so much because it was just such a different experience for all of us. But we're all from five completely different walks of life. Mm. And it's so sweet because it's not like anything around us was always like peaches and cream. Like I was an asshole for some, for some things. My boy was like going through his own stuff and just like the ways in which like we thought about life and just did not ever fully agree on anything. But we still knew at the foundation of that was like love and decency and curiosity is like one of the best things in the world. And so, um, yeah, yo. And so I had realized like that had been a foundation of like any of my male, my close male friends has to like inhibit like an authenticity about themselves and a, a care, a caring aspect of each other, but then also one that's willing to like challenge one another as well, um, depending on like what we need it for. And so I've had friends that like exhibited that almost like every four years. So like I had a set of guy friends in high school, college is like the ones I got closest to. And then post-college, I had another set that just like I got super close to. And so I'm. it's like interesting to see like that group be together and like experience each other. Cause I'm just like, ah, who are all some, some quirky niggas? Like, <laughs> quirky niggas that care. <laughs> not, 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 not Marquise creating his own version of the wood. You right. <laughs> <laughs> This nigga created his own version of the wood. <laughs> you already three know. times. <laughs> this, nigga so, did, yeah, yeah. this nigga created the best man part eight. Man, damn. Look, look. Because I said, Lord Jesus, I said, <laughs> y'all been around for the long haul. Huh? Yeah, at least, at least you're not fucking somebody's wife or something. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, look. Harper in the situation. I'm not going to know the true evil one. The true evil <laughs> <laughs> the <true laughs> I, my thing is who, who who were they trying to put the villain as I, I thought he was always the villain always the villain um that's 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 crazy but shout out to black male friendships shout out to black male mm-hmm. friendships for real oh man they're some of the best no absolutely so um i was reading an article about how you had to relearn the meaning of self-care uh for you so like what were some of the things that you were going through and what does self-care mean to you now Oh, that is a great question. I, yeah, I had to, it's funny, like at the point in time of that interview, I was probably at one of like my happiest points in life. Um, But if I look now, the things I need to take care of self are very different. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So between July and up to now, I experienced like, heartbreak i've experienced lots of rejection not knowing like who i am in this space (laughs) like i feel like my birthday's in two days and so i'm just like there's like a 
everybody says like 28 is a year that things shift. So like when I turn 28, I'm just like approaching 28. So much has shifted and like leaving the classroom, um, that first heartbreak, trying to figure out what comes next, being confident in my content creation and just like unsure, putting boundaries around my own like father and my relationship to him. Yes. trying to like lean into like emotional vulnerability with my mom in ways in which that I haven't before. I, my self care is very different now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Very different. Um, and I'm still learning what it is in this moment because it's like the things that used to sustain me, I'm just like in a space of instability. <laughs> and so I try to find things that have always kept me grounded. So I have been reading a lot more lately. I have been listening to music a lot more lately. I have just been taking my morning walks um, because I need time to like process grief and loss and rejection and hearing that. Over. Like I, I, I think there were like eight or nine jobs that I applied to interviewed for and they all were just like, nope, 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 Damn. nope. And I'm saying, I'm just like, huh, okay, so maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. Yeah. Um, Imposter so, syndrome yeah, is creeping in. Yeah, a lot of it's creeping in of just like questions around like, am I good enough? Do I value myself enough? How much do I actually value myself? Um, am I good enough for other people to want to stay invested in me? I'm asking like all of these questions around like all of this external validation, right? <laughs> and I'm just like, the rest of the world has rejected me. I don't know what is going on. And so I had realized like I had like built up a wall within this last month and some change of like wanting something and like wanting to go after something. And I, it's still kind of there in a sense. And I'm working through that piece now. Um, but it's so scary to like want something so bad and like not get it or not have it reciprocated in the ways in which that you need it to be reciprocated in. And so to see that happening in personal and professional worlds, when normally like my professional world keep me grounded, I'm a, I can always go back to this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in reality, right now, um, ideating and just um, building new habits that are prioritizing self and not having to consider other people now have been important. And I had self care right now is asking the question of like. What does Marquise need in terms of like needing to feel whole? Um, Self-care right now is taking a little bit more time to ask myself important questions um, for any decision. And so not just like jumping to any decision. And it's also looking at um, what energy is serving me right now. And I just need to be honest around how much I used to give to other people and how much I used to tolerate from other people that I had realized I had like lost a sense of like my own sense of worth because I had so much love to give and wanted to like have poured back into me. And so right now I think I'm like, <laughs> you're, you'll be the first one to hear it, but my word for, I pick a word every single year um, for my birthday. I don't do like new years and all that shit. But yeah. like my word of like what I want my year to look like um, two years ago is I chose grounded. I wanted to feel grounded again. Um, last year was um, which I'm gonna call it 
radiant. And so I wanted mm -hmm. my world to just be colorful. I wanted pleasure. I wanted to have the joys of life, right? Um, this year's word is bold. Um, okay. Yeah. And so I just want to like, just take chances on me and not have to, and I still can like consider other people, but I really want to be able to consider myself this year and be bold in what Marquise wants again and understanding like it looks different this time. And it's my way of not negating myself of hope, not negating myself of love, not negating myself of wanting something again. Because when you go through like bounds of rejection over and over again, you're just like, all right, great. I'm not even going to have expectations for anything anymore. I'm not going to ask for anything. I'm just not even going to like put an effort in. And so as I go through it in full transparency, still working through it and still learning what these things are, because I'm just like, I actually don't know who I am at this point in time. Well, I have a foundation of who I am, but I just don't know. I'm reintroducing myself to me again, if that makes sense. So no, of course. Yeah, that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, that's where you're at, man. This this chapter is bold. And you know what's funny? You know what else is bold? You know what else? You know what else is like a definition of bold? Keeping it a being, you know what I'm yeah. saying? So the floor is the floor is yours, Marquise, right? What is something that you want to keep a being with the audience right now? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. Is the floor is yours? Yeah, it is. If I'm going to keep it a bean with the audience right now. I don't want to say go touch some grass. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you can if you want to, bro. Now, nah, if I'm going to keep it a bean with the audience, um, do something for yourself every day. Mm. Do one thing for yourself every single day. Um and disconnect because once you do something for yourself each day, that means you only had a bad moment in your day, but you prioritize self, whether that's in the beginning of the day or the end of the day, but you can at least reflect on something that happened and say, this was for me. If there's anything I'm going to hold on to throughout this day, I'm going to hold on to that thing right there. Yeah, man. That's well, very well said. Come on, man. I mean, you can't, yeah. you can't, you can't do better. You can't do nothing better than that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Disconnect, you know what I'm saying? Do something for yourself as always, which also come, comes in with, you know, taking care of yourself, self-care, like you said, you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? You're doing it differently. So shout out to you for that and just dropping that gem for yeah. the audience for real. Um, Appreciate my final it. question to you, Marquise, is who do you want to give your flowers to? It could be anybody and it could be multiple people. Who do I want to give my flowers to? Oh, man. Take your time, bro. We good. Yeah. In all honesty, right now, the person that I really want to give my flowers to is uh, my friend Elijah. I've, I'm choosing Elijah because... In this last month and a half to two months, we've gotten significantly closer. But there's a, like a level of honesty and freeness and love that he has to share that has just been so so fulfilling to also be around, right? Um, he <laughs> he will always say it how it is. <laughs> it'll always be keeping it being. It's that one right there. Okay. He, yeah, he doesn't say 
he doesn't say much often when it comes to like inserting himself, but he is so thoughtful. He is so observant. Um, he genuinely cares in his very odd way of caring. Uh, <laughs> and he knows what that means. <laughs> um, but in reality, like I want to continue to give him his flowers because he is also taking a chance on himself this year too with the events that he curates. So he builds out Love on Wax, which is for anybody who loves vinyl and wants DJs to spin on vinyl. Um, so that yeah. event has been so much fun to see. We're working on a couple collabs together, um, giving each other opportunity, whether professionally or creatively, and just getting each other into specific rooms. Um yeah and then also just seeing him like step into a space of like discomfort right like he's like i don't want to do the social media thing but i know i need to like do the social media thing because <laughs> you know it's important and so yeah. for both of us to be able to like lean on each other in the spaces where we both can use development but um still do it with a like a level of care he's somebody i truly respect in the creative space and yeah just full of love so I got to give Elijah his flowers. And then some people, some other people, just real quick, Amanda, that's my roommate, my bestie. She deserves her flowers. She is taking chances in life that I'm just like so happy to see her take. Uh, my boy, Cozy, up in New York. He always, 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 he's the one who helped me design my Good Morning to Niggas Niggas Only mug. He's the one who gave me my earliest piece of feedback on my podcast. And was just like, just understand what makes your show different from other people uh yeah so that's a couple of them and that's also loki and jara i'm so happy for her too she is really a vibe and it's, i'm happy like seeing her journey so i definitely want to give those people their flowers because they've been inspiring me on the low whether i've told them physically like verbally or not so i'll make sure to also just tell them and give them their flowers but yeah those four people have definitely just been like great to watch and also just experience Hey, man, there you have it. Marquise, thank you so much for being yeah. on the show, man. We appreciate it. Let the people know where they can follow you, bro. Oh, yes. You can follow me across any social media platform. Twitter, I'm a man of the Twitter streets, X, whatever you, Twitter, that's what we're calling it. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. Twitter, TikTok, um, threads occasionally, Instagram. Um, yeah, at Marquise Davon. So that's M-A-R-Q-U-I-S-E-D-A-V-O-N. Or you can hop on YouTube and follow me. It's Marquise Davon Productions. So that's where you can like visibly watch um, Keeping It A Bead. But if not, you can go to wherever streaming platform that you'd like to listen to your podcast on and search up Keeping It A Bead. It is not keeping. It is keeping with an apostrophe. So <laughs> this way you don't get too confused about what it is. Talk about Make it. Make sure to leave them reviews because those are important for any of us as podcasters. Five stars, whatever. Just don't be a hater. I appreciate y'all. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's where you can find me. <laughs> hey, you heard it. You heard it from the best. You know what I'm saying? Thank you guys for joining us for another episode of Come Get Your Flowers. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Threads at Come Get Your Flowers. I'm your host, Deanna Gentsy, and we'll see you guys next time. Peace.